This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Yeah, we could start with the good vibes of this week. We've got we've got good vibes. Got some good vibes. Yeah, we got like- mostly mostly driven by my extreme professionalism and my also extremely correct banana opinions. Yes, you very banana pro- opinions. You very professionally like stood at the top of a bell tower and just rang a bell that went out across this great land, and it sounded yep. like tell Andrew he was right about. Manners. That's not a yep. bell. It was tell yep. Andrew. You don't need to do about like an actual bell. The bananas. Anyway, everybody agrees with me that bananas are nature's gogurt and <laughs> that everybody likes them ripe. Sure. Uh, got yeah, like them right. We also Am got right? some of you listeners uh, headed over to our iTunes page, and those of you who couldn't send us messages anyway. Uh, we really appreciated it. We were kind of playing last week for goofs, but it, it, it's never a bad uh, idea to get <laughs> some good vibes. Um, in case you don't know, this is Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And I'm going to tell you about this podcast. This is from an iTunes review. It's like a little, almost almost a story from Simahia Smith, I think. Sure. Sure. Imagine. That sounds right. Imagine you wake up. It's Monday morning. You just had a glorious weekend and must slog off through immense traffic to a morose and pitiful excuse of a job. With each passing week, you wonder how you can continue on such a miserable existence. Well, let me tell you, Andrew and Craig are here for you and will bring purpose back to your life. By subscribing to this podcast, your Mondays will now be something to anticipate with glee. Two best friends who, with the utmost professional demeanor and without a giggle fest in sight, discuss a book, one that likely has been on your shelf for way too long. As they discuss the author, the plot, and the contribution of each book, you will find yourself on a magical journey of discovery. With Andrew and Craig as your literary Sherpas, your life will once again gain meaning. You will long for the days of high school English class, except you will actually enjoy critical analysis. You will be able to rediscover old classics such as Fifty Shades. Most importantly, you'll be able to enter the office Monday morning freshly inspired by this podcast, A Happier Person. That's very lovely. That's a very good and neutral review. <laughs> I really appreciate... Like very objective. Yeah, I appreciate I mean. critics who are able to remain objective mm-hmm. as they provide me, the, the customer, with the facts. Yes. I really need those facts. Someone needs to tell Garfield about our podcast. He won't hate Mondays anymore. <laughs> yeah, just come and call up Gar- Garfield. Tell him to right, put Craig. down the lasagna and pick up a podcast already. Speaking of scary things, oh. we're talking about Garfield. Yep. Um, we are th- we're wrapping up Spooktober. It's over in the blink of an eye. Like the it's vanished like a the ghost of a child. Oh, <laughs> wait. 
Is that how that works? Yeah, quick as a whip. Okay. It's gone. Like you an orb. It, it's gone. Yeah, the yeah. orb just flew through my kitchen. It's gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this is the, the last week of Spooktober. What did you read for it and who is it by? And tell me more. Oh, okay. That's how the show works. I read uh, the book called Ring uh, by the Japanese author Koji Suzuki. I think in Japanese, it's there's like an extra syllable at the end. It's either like Ringu or Ringu. But I believe it's Ringu. Ringu. I mean, it's spelled Ringu. Yeah. But. So it's called Ring. Um, you may have seen, I believe, the Naomi Watts movie. Uh, it was a 2002 American film. Yes. Called The Ring. And that was adapted from the 1998 Japanese horror film Ring. And so this book was written in 1991. And then right. I believe the translation that I'm reading is either from 2003 or 2004. I think I read 2004. Um, the, so the original Ring trilogy was published in Japan in uh, 91, 95, and 98. And then there was a short story collection that came after in 99. And then he wrote two new books in the series in 2012 and 2013. Okay. Um, so he, yeah, uh, Koji Suzuki was born in 1957. He's a Japanese writer born in Hamamatsu who now lives in Tokyo. Um, he's known mostly for the Ring series. He's primarily known as a horror author. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he won the Shirley Jackson Award in 2012 for his book Edge. Which is about the San Andreas fault like snapping in half. So like that old that old chestnut, but apparently there are like supernatural reasons. <laughs> and it's a he describes it as a quantum horror book. Oh, that this guy sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I read like there's not a ton about him out there, at least not in English, but I found an interview from two thousand nine in Metro. That I liked a lot. Okay. Where he was talking about, he was talking about how he came up with the ring. And then he was talking about his like relationship with the stuff that he writes. So about the book, he, he says, I thought, what if four girls and boys died of an unnatural cause, but in different locations? What if they had a mutually frightening experience? And my imagination took off from there. I looked at a videotape that just happened to be there and thought, okay, let's say they've all seen a haunted video. (laughs) But how was it recorded in the first place? How about by a psychic with extraordinary powers? Then I started looking into psychics. <laughs> so it's like if you and I decided to write a horror novel, but but we were just in our office. And I was like, man, what if Lego Bart Simpson and my work phone that I hate took off and killed some people? <laughs> yeah. He's got it. That's a good imagination. And I appreciate his follow through Mm because it is now still a relevant horror series over 20 years after its creation. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And he had like he says, I managed to write a good horror story because I don't actually like horror. If I liked it and was always reading it, I would have written typical horror. Instead, the story was original and fun. And he says later, romantic novels are my specialty. I get loads of fun letters for those. I love marine stories, Hemingway style, masculine and romantic. Yeah, well, we might talk about that a little we might bit. Talk. Okay, that's good. Just then, and then because he says he doesn't like horror, and that I think like that quote gets used a lot to be like, oh, this horror writer wrote this thing. He doesn't. He hates the horror. Maybe he hates what he does, and that's not that's not true. He says, I enjoy what I write. You wouldn't be able to write if you were scared of your own content. Hmm. Okay. 
Because so I'm glad you, that you looked you, that up. Yeah. If you write content, just like don't you gotta love what you do. Don't be scared of your own content. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you looked that up because based I did not have a lot of time to read up on uh, Suzuki this week. So all I know about him is from the back of this copy of the book. And the first sentence is my favorite. Koji Suzuki is based in Tokyo, but spends most of his time traveling. It's my favorite because I read it the first time, and I thought it said spends most of his time time traveling. <laughs> okay, so the first like the first sentence isn't your favorite, but the dumb thing that you thought it said is your favorite. Yes, and then you said that he wrote a quantum horror story about that an actually. Earthquake. Yeah, that's not a misquote. He's, yeah, he thinks it's quantum horror, which is just. How many other books in that genre are there? I don't know. He's also an avid motorcyclist, an accomplished yachtsman, and a respected Ooh. authority on child rearing. Suzuki is at the vanguard of modern horror fiction writers. Sure. He's good. All right. Good. Good at boats. Good at kids. Good at horror. <laughs> and he likes motorcycles. Good for America. Yeah. Koji Suzuki. Vote <laughs> for Suzuki. He does mm-hmm. not like horror. Um. Yeah. That's. Let's let's talk. What have we learned about horror fiction so far, Andrew? In all like of this our month, or in our lives, or since we started the podcast, since we started like, Spooktober, like what are what are some things that you've liked about the spooky books you've read? Um, I like the ones that are atmospheric rather than like they're creating terror and scariness by making you go in your own head about it rather than telling you and then a evil spider monster from another dimension showed up like stephen king okay did okay it. sure um i also feel like the like kind of what you're saying the best ones have not revolved around jump scares they've not revolved around showing exactly what's going on there are parts of this book that feel very perfunctory and then there's the overarching cosmic evil that Suzuki seems interested in that, I don't know, I I think this quote about him not liking horror is really important. Because I feel yeah. like people are spooked by this story, but there are large passages of this book that I was not, like, scared about, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's like coming at something as an amateur as we have demonstrated through our 200 whatever episodes Uh is like you can have an interesting outsider's perspective but also you can be doing a bunch of trite things that don't quite work because you don't know any better (laughs) yes and we struggle with that every week Um, you really do there there was a review of edge that i found while i was trying to look up what it was (laughs) That I, I want to read this and see if it like resonates with you at all. Okay. Is, um, so this is in World Literature Today. It's a review of Edge. And um, in Edge, Koji Suzuki devises an inspired premise and pummels it half to death. Suzuki has been touted as Japan's answer to Stephen King. Wrong. Suzuki may be the answer, but King is not the question. <laughs> Suzuki lacks King's gift for weaving seamless stories peopled with multidimensional characters. More important, Suzuki dislikes horror, describing himself in a 2005 interview as the complete opposite of a horror sort of person. Okay. So here's my first takeaway about that quote as someone who has read some Stephen King, uh, not recently though. What this book does not do 
is what ex- exactly what that quote says. It does not weave together a bunch of narratives. It is, I would actually call it, and I've seen this book called it, it's like a mystery novel. They're trying mm-hmm. to figure out the source of the horror <laughs> and they're trying to get there, like they're trying to solve it and they have like a ticking clock. So mm-hmm. there's not actually a lot of time for interesting characters with like fleshed out backgrounds. There's not a okay. lot of time for place to really be super evocative or um, like feed into the characters and how they feel. Uh, it f- so just like when you say that, do you mean that the setting isn't like grabby or like it doesn't matter where it's taking place or what is it like? It matters in a plot way. I personally did not find it to matter in a like thematic way. But it's not like dairy Maine. No. To go back to Stephen King. No, again. It, there's not a like this small town. Or, like is this gonna... whole town is wrapped <laughs> is like wrapped all the way around this horror mystery. Yeah. And and maybe that'll maybe that's because of what the nature of this horror is. So let's let's get into the story and we kind of kind of tease out this theme. I, I'm glad that we've talked about this early on because we'll probably be able to come back to it a couple of times. Hey everybody, it's Craig just checking in as we move into the plot section of the book. I wanted to give you fair warning that uh, for two of the characters, sexual assault does factor into their backstory, and we do talk about it briefly uh, on the show for one, and, and a little bit more on the second one as a major plot point. Um, none of the conversation is very explicit, but we just wanted to give you a heads up in case you'd rather not have that in your ears, which is a totally valid decision. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the rest of the episode if you choose to. So you kind of laid out uh, what's up with this book <laughs> pretty <laughs> early on in our episode. So four teenagers uh, got spooked by something. Okay. And they all died in one night. And so the book gives you two of the deaths in like a little prelude. Um, a young woman named Tomoko Oshi is like, just spooked to death in her kitchen. Like she's, she uh, is sad that summer break is coming to an end. She spent all of her time hanging out with friends and not studying. Like she told her parents, uh, her and her three friends went away for like a weekend when they shouldn't have. And now she's all upset because she's got a bunch of work to do and she feels really spooked. And then the, the chapter cuts off. She, Hmm. All right. So the the way that you say that, I can't tell if she is going through all that and then is suddenly spooked by something or if she's just thinking about all that stuff and she spooks herself by thinking about all the work she has to do. Because I do do that to myself with some regularity is I, <laughs> I think about like, oh, like I all this week, every single day I've gotten done like half of what I wanted to get done. Maybe I would rather fall over dead in the kitchen than just keep on living. <laughs> I think what this what uh, Suzuki is doing here is that it starts that way. It starts with, oh, my God, I can't even just believe I'm alive. And then 
a, a physical oppression like takes hold of her. And her parents are away at like a baseball game, and she's like, "Why aren't they home yet? I'm stressing out." And then she is like physically overcome with feelings that are not just like stress about work, and she's starting to get scared. And then like there's this sense that she needs to turn around, and she turns around, and like the glass of Coca Cola that she was drinking falls out of her hand, and then the chapter ends. And you're supposed to, I imagine, believe that she's dead. Oh uh, no! The next chapter is a cab driver who's like driving around and this motorcyclist like pulls up next to him and it's like really close and it's like oh, get get away from my cab don't mess up my cab and then the motorcyclist looks over in his direction but he's got like a helmet on he can't see what he's looking at and then he starts like tearing at his helmet like he needs to like take his head off like he's just freaking out Yikes. Um, and then he falls off his bike hits the cab and is dead and of course, the cabbie's like, "God, I'm gonna!" He scratched up my cab. <laughs> like, I'm gonna have the to file a report. The best in humanity, yeah. <laughs> so, Yo, the- you know, that's that's an extreme version, though, because there. I mean, when a stranger does something that's not like it's not gonna end your life, it's not even really gonna change your life in any meaningful way. It's just like created some dumb stuff for you that you didn't have to deal with. Uh huh. Like, even if somebody. Even if the person on the other end of it has like a worse deal, sometimes you are like, "Man, how does this affect me? This sucks." I yeah, guess. and and there's a whole spectrum of that feeling where it's like okay to you need to give yourself self care about that thing if it's really stressing you out because you need to be able to be the person other people need you to be. But then like some people have worse lives than you, and you could just like chill, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's okay. Your cab will be fine, sir. Um, so then we get introduced to the main character. His name is Kazuyuki Asakawa. We will call him Asakawa, um, as the book does. He's a reporter for the Daily News. and That's a good newspaper it's name. It's pretty good. <laughs> uh, and he gets into this cab, and of course, it's the cabbie that we just met. I think his name's Kimura. And he, like, no matter which way he's taken... Asakawa, he does end up driving through the intersection where the motorcyclist hit his cab. And he okay. feels compelled to tell Asakawa what happened and like what night it was. And that like piques Asakawa's interest because his niece died that same night. And you realize that his niece was the girl in the first chapter. Oh, no. I was going to ask if it was the same teen or a different teen. Different. Well, no, same teen. Um, different teen who died. and Different from the motorcycle. Yes. Guy. Yeah. And then he's like at the office thinking this through and he's talking to his boss about it. And they get into a discussion about how two years ago, like everyone in the country was writing in letters about ghosts. <laughs> like, like everyone? Almost everyone. <laughs> That's a lot like, of people. There's even a sentence that's like, it wasn't the none of the things anyone was writing about was scary, but the sheer magnitude of letters they were getting was scary. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of went away. So okay. everyone in this news office is like, I don't believe in them. We shouldn't write about them. But what about ghosts? Everyone's just I think kinda, at that point, like the fact that everybody else thinks about ghosts is a story. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's true. He talks about that. It becomes like now the media is part of the story. Like always, mm-hmm. it's always how it goes. Ugh, stupid media. Mm-hmm. 
So I was trying to make it about them. He uh, is putting two and two together. He's ner- he's worried that these two incidents are connected, and he finds another newspaper article about two other teens who died in a car. They were probably trying to have sex in that car. Nice. Like while it was moving? Because that's no. an impressive maneuver. <laughs> no. While it was parked somewhere. Uh, and somebody found them and they're like, their clothes were half off, but they weren't touching each other. Like they were like almost as if they had been pulled away from each other by an unseen force and they were like clawing at their heads so the commonality between all four of these people is that they died like with this look of horror on their face and they were like pulling at their heads like they tried trying to take their face off Nicolas Cage style like that movie face off yes and I think that's how that movie (laughs) movie (laughs) went it's just people tearing their own faces off it's like two guys in the same room are like, oh, man, I got to get this. Uh, I've had this face on my whole life. I got to get it off. And they take their faces off and then they realize what they did. And then they feel around on the floor for their faces and they each pick up the other's face. And then from there, it's a romantic comedy, I think. That's way scarier than face off is. About about trying to find the other one. <laughs> and they meet at the Empire State Building. <laughs> And they trade faces again and they kiss. This, yeah. It, also known as Faceless in Fargo. It's my favorite mm-hmm. movie. <laughs> um, so all this to say that Asakawa has basically put two and two and two together to determine that these four kids all knew each other. They were all friends. And they all died on the same night. And something has to have connected them. There has to be some sort of like, did they have a virus what happened so he does some digging he even goes over to his uh like brother and sister-in-law's house it's his wife's like siblings daughter that died and Mm -hmm. he goes like up in her room and is like poking around without their permission and his wife his marriage seems fine but like (laughs) they have a one-year-old daughter and his wife and daughter go to sleep every night at like 9 p.m. Cause, Boring. And he like stays up and I guess like gets drunk and writes newspaper articles. It's kind of unclear. Um, you know. <laughs> as two guys who tend to stay up and be productive on on things. Um, after their wives after go to their bed. bed I, I did kind of. Hmm, you know you know huh Um, interesting (laughs) and so he uh he goes snooping in this house and he finds that there was like a a pass to this place called hakone pacific land which is like a holiday resort outside of tokyo Mm -hmm. and they had borrowed some pass from a friend of theirs he gets some phone calls to confirm that this is exactly what happened and he decides that he's gonna travel up there when these kids like went away for three days at the end of August and like stay in the cabin where they stayed, like he's going to go there and find out what happened. I, it's kind of unclear why other than just like, yo, he needs to know, which I think is, it's believable in the moment. I think that's fine. I think making him a newspaper reporter is a good way to convey that because pop culture I think is full of, scrappy you know daily newspaper reporters who are just trying to 
get to the truth because that's what they have an impulse to do. Yeah. Like they chase the story down no and, matter how inco- inconsequential. And when his bosses are talking about the, the ghost phenomenon and how they can't spend any more like space writing about that nonsense anymore, he brings up this like series of articles that the paper started where they interview like successful local businessmen about why they're good businessmen and it's like total puff pieces that are mostly okay. meant to drive ad sales by from those businessmen which is like really gross you know <laughs> you know and so again this is the part huh. of the book where it's not a horror movie or a horror like story but like suzuki it's just like he horror gets it. insofar as like the way the world works that's that's how it goes yeah so welcome to life to your point everybody it's believable that Asakawa is like, I got to get this real story. Plus, my niece died, even though I didn't really know her very well. But like, I got to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, right. Like, I guess he can. I mean, he he could have been closer to his niece and that could have fueled the story also. But yeah. no, it's, it's fine. It's because he's a newspaper boy. So he drives out to Hakone Pacific Land and he's going to stay at the Villa Log Cabin area. And this is a relatively new a resort and these log cabins are only like six months old not a lot of people have stayed there so he knows exactly when about a month ago these teens crashed at this log cabin or whatever and i don't know how he explained it to his wife that he was just gonna like go away for the evening that's kind of glossed over <laughs> uh he does Maybe he just wait for it to... i mean if you go to bed at nine like you still got <laughs> Like the night is young, just go. He does say that he can, he could probably get back in time for the meeting he has to be at at eleven in the morning. So that that tells you where his priorities are, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes up to this place, and it's kind of, it's not creepy, but it doesn't quite feel great. He's getting a weird vibe from the area. There are people there, more people than you would expect on a Thursday. Nobody seems like they're having a great time, but they're still there. Um, See, this just so far, this just sounds like any any resort. Yes, to me. sure, sure. Why are why are any why is anyone here? That's my first reaction. Uh, so he gets he sees the manager and gets the keys. He has like two packs of cup of noodle and a bottle of whiskey. Like that's how he's going to get through the <laughs> evening. Mm-hmm. And. The story checks out. Story so checks out. You know, and you know. he goes into the cabin, and it's like fine. It's fine. Nothing's weird. It's more space than one person needs, but you know, obviously, four people could say they're just fine. There's a TV. There's a VCR. There's whatever. And he finds this guest book that has like notes. I know when we have you done this with like Airbnbs or whatever, Andrew, where there's like a guest book. Where you're supposed to like leave your like write a note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean that goes back further than Airbnb's. Like B and B's, actual B and B's. Sure. Well, because when we when Susanna and I went on our honeymoon, we went like her grandfather has mm. this like timeshare mm-hmm. in the Virgin Islands, and so there's this guest book, and it actually like it went back to like she found the entry that her family wrote when they were there when she was like a teenager. And like read all the stuff that her family members had written. It was kind of cool. That is kind of cool. It's the sort of thing that's cheesy until it's 20 years old and then you can read through it and it's like, oh, hey, humanity. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. (laughs) So this one has like, 
<laughs> one from April 14th, which says, Daddy's fat, Mommy's fat, so I'm fat too, April 14th. <laughs> okay. Cool. There's another my one. favorite cheap trick song. There's another one from a couple days before all the kids died, like over a week and a half before the kids died in August. Another summer vacation come and gone, and it sucked. Somebody help me. Rescue poor little me. I have a motorbike, 400cc. I'm pretty good looking. A bargain. <laughs> what? Yeah. What is this stream of consciousness? like? These are different people. What? These are just oh, like people different. like... Oh, no. down okay, notes. I missed something because I thought this was just like this is one person no. writing just like everything <laughs> that occurred to them as it occurred to them. No, the first one was in April and was like probably like a kid, and the next one was like a teen with a motorbike looking for action. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So it's not all the same. No, <laughs> all the same kid. And then uh, like cool. ten days later, like he reads this for a little while and he gets to the last one of the last entries. And it says, Oop, consider yourself warned. You'd better not see it unless you've got the guts. You'll be sorry you did. Parentheses, evil laughter, S-I. And the, the initials match up to one of the dead kids. So okay. he's wondering, like, what the heck they're talking about. And he's like, maybe there's, like, a scary movie that they all watched. So they go. he goes back to the manager. Is there anything that drives him to scary movie other than just, like, a hunch? That seems a little pat. Um, you'd better not see it unless you've got the guts. Okay, cool. And then he sees like the VCR and thinks like, okay, that maybe that was it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, so he goes back to the manager's office, like the front desk guy, and there's like a whole like check out of v- check out a video for your log cabin stay, and. There's like Legend of Hell House and The Exorcist and The Omen. And then there's a video that doesn't have a label. Ooh. And it doesn't, it's a it's clearly a video that was a homemade recording. Like it has that, you know, on on old VHS tapes, you could take the tab off and then you like couldn't rewrite yeah, it. Yeah, that's the co- the copy protection yeah. thing. And then you tape back over it and it adds copy protection, which is how I made all my friends copies of our vhs version of the matrix okay i was gonna i did want to ask like what your vhs experience was growing oh, man. up oh man i have so mystery science theater 3000 is a show that i watched a lot of uh-huh. and if you know anything about the show you know that like a lot of the episodes of it have been out of circulation for a while because like the movie rights expire like they they it was people making fun of movies in a humorous way. And so they had to get the rights to these old movies. And this was like back in the early nineties to late nineties. And nobody really thought through like DVD rights and all the stuff that I think is probably Mm -hmm. like just done now Mm -hmm. when you, when you make a new show. And so to circulate the episodes that hadn't been put out onto DVD yet, there was this like inner, this like nascent, nascent, nascent internet tape trading community who would like copy around these episodes that people had taped on their VCRs off of comedy central like two decades ago. That's awesome. And you'd like build out a collection of episodes and you'd like, 
you'd trade them and you'd sell them. And yeah, like I for a while there as a as a tween, I was making like a couple hundred bucks a month off the scam, which is pretty good. Selling like MST3K video leg MST3K VHS tapes. Whoa. Yes. Yeah. You're what a, what a pirate you are. I know, right? Oh man. Oh, if, and uh, this, it goes without saying this podcast is not admissible in court. <laughs> That's okay. how that works, right? Yeah, I was. Yours this is off the record. <laughs> yours is way cooler than mine. Mine was going to be the fact that growing up, um, my mom and sisters were huge fans of the soap opera Days of Our Lives, right? Which was a daily occurrence that that show, <laughs> and it aired at like you know twelve in the afternoon, like one o'clock noon or whatever. And so we would tape it every day. Like once you get that VH, the VCR that you can schedule recording. Right, right, right. So, fancy one. Yeah. So, and it'll record even if the TV's off, but you just have to set it to the right channel first or whatever. And so we'd record it every day and then watch it at dinner time. Like that was that was a ritual, which meant that mm-hmm. like a we would just wear the heck out of those tapes and b you'd get like random snippets of commercials and early episode like episodes at the beginnings and ends of the recording mm-hmm. and they would just kind of stack up. And just like, what is going on? If somebody found this, you'd you'd see like three different months worth of days of our lives for like <laughs> two seconds. And, and then, then a bunch of weird gum commercials. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all that to say, there is this tape that Asakawa fa- finds. And the manager's like, I don't know what that is. He goes, huh, well, let, me, let me take this tape. So he plugs into the VCR and he has an interesting viewing experience. He finishes watching the tape at about 10.04 p.m. And I say that that's driven home in this book. So it's... Like that exact time yes. to the minute? Okay. <clears throat> and there's earlier sections in the book where, like, why, Suzuki, are you writing so uh, specifically about travel times and departure times? And it's setting up this idea that, like, timing is very important. Okay. So first you get, and this is the tape, and it's different from the movie, so like buckle up, I guess. Um, I have not seen the movie, honestly, so I'm just, okay. this is all going to be news to me. Just so, I'm just letting you know. So first it's like darkness or whatever, and then some words appear, and it says, what does it say? Let me find the page real quick, because I lost it. It says... Watch until the end. You will be eaten by the lost, and then it trails off. The lost what? Who knows? <laughs> wait, what? Who, the lost wait. what? So then the black and white screen becomes filled with like red liquid, and Asakawa could swear that the sound of it, whatever that sound is, is like coming from outside the TV, and the whole cabin feels like it's shaking. Then he sees a mountain like an image of a mountain okay. in br- beautiful technicolor. And then <laughs> the mountain, it, like it, it, it erupts. It's like a volcanic eruption that happens. So then it cuts to like a Japanese character for the word mountain. And then it cuts to two dice and one is rolled to a one and one is rolled to a five. And Asakawa's like, what does that mean? 
Six. Yeah. <laughs> then <laughs> six. He sees right? an old lady who is speaking in a dialect that at first he doesn't understand and he only gets a couple of words, uh, but she's pretty creepy. And then he sees a newborn baby and he can swear that he could like feel the baby in his hands. Like this film, as he remarks, is like affecting all five of his senses. Um, he can smell it. Including can, smell? Including yeah. Smell. I, I don't know about taste, but he does say five senses, so who knows? Like what weird Ingmar Bergman yep. videotape is he watching? Uh-huh. <laughs> like what? And then it cuts to a hundred human faces, which slowly recede in size to reveal like thousands upon thousands of human faces, and they're all shouting like liar and fraud. Uh and then it cuts to a television set, like an old one from the 50s. And you can see a character on it that says uh, Sada, very like out of focus, distorted, and it goes away. And this is when he remarks that all of his senses... Oh, there's a sour, sweet taste stabbing his tongue, Andrew. That's where the taste comes from. Oh, neat. Like um, a warhead. Yep. And then, yeah, he's tasting warheads. Um, <laughs> and then the face of a man appears, and it's like oddly alive... And uh, Asakawa can feel that he, like, hates this guy. And the guy's, like, shoulder is bleeding. And he's, like, attacking. It almost looks like he is attacking Asakawa. Like, he's making eye contact with Asakawa. Uh, and then that guy goes away. And then it sh- there's some writing that appears again. And it says, Those who have viewed these images are fated to die at the exact hour one week from now. If you do not wish to die, you must follow these instructions exactly. And then the scene changes and there's a commercial, like an actual television commercial for like mosquito repellent or some nonsense. <laughs> and then the sound of static and the tape ends. What? 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 Was it? And then. Is it that they taped over something else and there was a mosquito repellent commercial? Or it was like the original airing of this weird student film had a like an ad break in it no it is very it feels like someone taped over the ending oh no and then the get a commercial that doesn't make any sense and then the phone rings and he picks it up and he answers it and there's no answer but like almost like and this is kind of goes to that part of horror that we've liked in, in early books like he nobody says anything to him but he can hear something in his head that's like you've seen it now. You know what that means. Oh, do it. Do what it said, or else. And he's like, I don't know what it said. The end was cut off. They take. They cut those, it off. Uh, those darn teens cut off the ending. Go to Blockbuster and get the version of it from there, and hope that they didn't tape over that. Yeah. So he takes the tape, and he's terrified. And he goes back to Tokyo, and he calls up his like one best friend in the world. His name is Ryuji Takayama, who is a professor of some kind with like a, a professed interest in the supernatural he's also a psychopath he cool um <laughs> cool friend yeah the, um asakawa's wife doesn't like it when ryuji comes over <laughs> <laughs> i bet not uh and one of ryuji's like defining memories in asakawa's life like the things that one of the things he remembers the most about him is that time in high school where ryuji confessed to raping a girl 
Cool. So this isn't funny anymore. Yeah. yeah. All right, Yuji, what do you want, you scumbag? And he's like, kind of got this affable, like, well, you got this crazy murder video, huh? Let's take a look at it. Let's go. And the whole book, he has this, like, devil may care attitude. I will say that later there's a character that, like, tries to say that maybe that wasn't true but at that point it's so late in the book that it doesn't really matter what the, the rape thing yeah it, there's why it's, would you <sighs> exactly right. exactly um let's just proceed on the assumption that he's a scumbag oh he's a total scumbag rapist idiot yeah and go from there okay um so he takes the he takes the tape to Ryuji and he's like this is what happened and Ryuji's like you gotta let me watch that tape let's go uh, I'm coming. Are we over. supposed to like? Are we supposed to assume anything about our protagonist because of the company he keeps? Like, is that old adage applied anywhere in here, or what? Like, it's what are we supposed to make of the fact that his best friend is so obviously like morally bankrupt? Uh, that Asakawa does not seem very good at asserting himself in the world. That he is kind of. He he lets himself be at the mercy of other people. So his friend chose him, and he does not have it in him to be like, you know what? Actually, you're a bag and goodbye. Correct. Okay, cool. And he and he doesn't have it in him to go out and find like better friends either. So cool. Okay, like yeah. that's too bad. It is too bad. Um, I don't think anybody comes out of this book looking great. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so of course he invites Ryuji over to his house. To watch his murder video, mm-hmm. and uh, his wife goes to sleep because it's nine o'clock with the baby. And I just have this note here where she comes out to be like, "Hey, I heard noises," and he like pauses the tape so that she doesn't watch it, and is like, "No, we're just hanging out here watching a video. Don't worry about it." And in her head, she's like, "Well." You're, they're watching pornography. I guess they're watching porn, <laughs> and your friend sucks, so I'm going to sleep. Two things. Um, well, uh, they watch the tape, and Ryuji's like, well, that was a trip, wasn't it? Huh. And he sort of is, like, intrigued that maybe it's true, but he also wants uh, Asakawa to make him a copy so that he can go home and study it himself, which Asakawa obliges. So here is where the book turns into, like, it stops being explicitly spooky for a long period of time and really is just a mystery of like, where did this tape come from? Who made it? Why is the ending cut off? What is cut off? They keep referring to it as the charm. Like they basically, after a day or so, are like, okay, if this is real and I'm going to die in six days now, because now I took a day to show to you, uh, there's a charm that we need to find out to undo it. So we have to figure out who made the tape so that we can find out what the charm is. Um, and this is when it's like they do a little bit of detective work, uh, some of which is like really wonderfully early 90s cop stuff where like he goes through the records of who was staying in the cabin to find out who might have brought a videotape to that cabin and it turns out it was like some sixth grader who likes this comedy show that he couldn't watch while his parents were there so like he taped it and then went outside to play and it recorded a channel while no one was watching the television i'm trying to think what the modern 
Like, if you're going to set this book in the modern era, what would it be? Like, you have... Like a haunted YouTube, I think. It would be like a haunted YouTube channel, and you'd have to have, like, people... You'd have to convince them to like and subscribe <laughs> and comment, or else they would die. I have a Poltreon that you can contribute to uh-huh. if you want to keep the spooks going on a monthly basis. Uh-huh. And if you contribute below the $10 a month level, I will kill you. <laughs> you will be dead. So I like that element of blackmail because it reminds me of the scene in this book where Asakawa goes to his boss and is like, hey, I thought about taking the week off work, but I actually need this week to turn this murder video into a story for the paper. <laughs> and his boss is like, I don't think I believe you. But in his head, he's like, but if it is real, I don't want to know anything. But he like, pro- he probably is watching pornography, though, is what his boss thinks. Yeah. I just, he's probably with his weird friend Ryuji watching porno again. I do just like... Again. Again. After, anytime uh, after 9 p.m. Asakawa. Um, I, I do like Asakawa's plan with his boss where he's like, I mean, if you don't believe me, I'll just show you the video. And his boss is like, wait, wait. Yikes. <laughs> Ooh, that's another good thing is you could like pretend you had a killer video uh-huh. and you could go around being like, yeah, I'm going to, it's like two 30. I'm going to go home. I'm just going to peace out. And your boss would be like, oh, I don't know about that. And then you say, well, I mean, if you, if you don't want me to, I just show you this haunted YouTube. Hold on. Let me just, and you start tapping on your phone. Like, let me just pull it up here. I really need haunted this. YouTube <laughs> kill you 720p. You need this special password to log into this account. It's private. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do like that Asakawa ends up calling the family that stayed at the cabin before. And they're like, basically, did your son bring a recordable videotape to the cabin? If so, was it this exact kind of long playing tape? And she's like, yeah, let me look at the box. Yep, it is. They still have the box, huh? Yep. Law and order. Right. Well, they buy them in three packs, Andrew. Okay, that's an actual like <laughs> detail in this book. I love it. Um, I mean, again, as somebody who bought VHS tapes in bulk and sold them, that is a thing. Yes, that's a thing. And they're able to determine that the kids were the ones who erased the ending because there's like a snippet of a late night show that has like a like a David Letterman show that has a guest on it. And they're able to confirm that the guest was on it the night that the kids watched the video. Oh, okay. So, so then we get into the the mystery of, like, what made the tape? Who made the tape? And as you said at the very beginning of this podcast, some psychic girl is involved. And I don't know. I don't know how deep <laughs> I want to go into it because at this point, like, the book maintains not a lot of mystery about this stuff. Like it just starts unfolding plot point after plot point of, oh, her mom was psychic and uh, she was born out of wedlock to her mom and then she had psychic powers and uh, then stuff went real bad for her mom and her mom committed suicide mm-hmm. and then she got really mad and her psychic powers got out of control and then she died. Okay. So like if you, if you don't want to talk about more plot stuff, which it sounds like we're kind of at the end of the plot stuff you want to talk about. Sure. Um, do you, I mean, do you want to talk about differences between the book and the movie? Do you want to, 
go back to those criticisms um of the of the writing and plotting and like is, is there is there stuff you think was handled well stuff that you were really dissatisfied by like what's your reaction to the to the prose i guess well let me wrap up the plot and this will tie into our our thoughts on this as a horror story okay so okay, from okay. here we, we are gonna like spoil a little bit but for me it's like it drives home what the book is up to mm-hmm. and why i think people like it and, and what separates it from the pack so like if you really want to go read this book without knowing the real true cause of all this nonsense like that's fine um but i'm gonna tell you about it right now so uh she we find out that this girl um Sadako was raped while visiting her dying dad at a sanatorium. Why is that such a prevalent? I mean that's this I'm not ans- asking you this expecting an answer but like it's I don't love that this is a plot point that this book keeps going to. Yeah, it's 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 a shorthand for terrible human behavior. Um, great but like there's bad stuff that people can do that's not rape yeah sure like you can you can put soda in a cup that you told them was you were just getting for water like there's there's abominable human behavior that is not rape sure that we all recognize as shorthand for bad human behavior yeah it's it's hmm. um the guy who commits it who's a doctor at the sanatorium which is where the uh resort ends up getting built 30 years later um he is the last man in japan who ever got infected with the smallpox virus so thematically this book like kind of waxes about the way viruses work and what is the nature of viruses and why they exist at all and how they need us to survive but they don't want to kill us entirely or else they don't survive and so in committing this act, he gives her, I guess, the smallpox virus. <laughs> and then she, like, psychically tells him that she's going to kill him. So instead, he kills her and, like, throws her down a well. Um, okay. And cool. the, the cabin is then built on top of the well. Mm-hmm. So the book, um, you later find out that uh, you think that they've broken the curse because they go and like find her body, but then Ryuji dies on his day, even though Asakawa did not die. So Andrew, what do you? What and do you? Nothing of value was lost. Well, by the way, that's true. <laughs> Andrew, why do you think that Asakawa did not die? What's? Did, I mean, did I you catch the one thing that he did with the tape. I mean, you're, you're, I already know like the basic, like the mechanic of from the movie is that you've got it's like a it's a chain it's a deadly chain letter it is basically and you've got you've got to show it to somebody else that's true so you don't die and then they have to show it to somebody else correct so it's spreading virus like so here throughout the human population so at this point after ryuji dies um asakawa figures it out and he's like oh my god i'm gonna have to keep spreading this and everyone's gonna have to spread it uh his wife and and kid watched the tape at one point (laughs) Oh no! Because uh, obviously she was like, "What were they watching?" Does that mean he, like, he has to find two, or they each have to find one, he, or what? It, the book ends with him racing to make them make a copy for her parents. <laughs> hey, oh. what's up, in laws? 
Here's his murder tape. I mean, I guess if you don't like your in-laws that much, that's one way to handle it. And he realizes that this ring this is going to keep spreading and spreading and maybe take over the world. Uh, the book sums it all up. A woman's resentment toward the masses who had hounded her father and mother to their deaths and the smallpox virus's resentment toward the human ingenuity that had driven it to the brink of extinction had fused <laughs> together in the body of a singular person named Sadako Yamamura and had reappeared in the world in an unexpected, unimagined form. What? So that, I think, there's a whole other thing where Sadako is revealed to be a hermaphrodite biologically, like is not actually a girl and i don't really know why that's important i i find yeah. that to be a distraction in the book well and um, i feel like if you're writing this in 1991 you might almost do that to like further other the the person who you're trying to make into a demon and, you know yeah and there's two lines about it actually being like this evolutionary step forward or a reference to where evolution was in the first place and that, like, it rings. Uh, um, it's uh, too convenient of a of a connection, I think. Um, sure. Fine. But this idea that this this evil thing is now a virus that is going to spread out throughout the world, um, that I think is the like Stephen King esque thematic horror idea that is not tied to oh, here's a spooky thing that happened. It's, oh, man, what would happen if there was this death tape? The whole world would have to wrangle with it. And it has to do with what we've done to a virus, I guess. Like, yes, this virus is getting revenge on us. Like a resentful smallpox virus. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is what's going to happen when, like, global warming thaws out all those, like, graves of people who died from terrible diseases that we can't fight anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we're all going to catch... Like, I've seen the movie Outbreak. I know how this goes, oh, but... Sure. Um, so that, well, so, okay. So that's, like, like, that's the thing. Yes. A thing I Just, like, don't pick, like pick, about it. Pick a thing. Like, tell me what you don't like about it, and then let's, like, let's wrap it up. Yeah, that's sure. Um, as I said... Uh, Ryuji sucks and <laughs> Asakawa lets it happen. Um, can you root for a spineless protagonist or is that how he comes off in this uh, book or what? I You can sort of root for him in a sense that you want him to not, do, not die because you want to find out how to break the cycle. I, I don't feel a lot of sympathy for him and I don't think the book is super concerned with that. Which, okay. which again... I think it's a thriller, not I don't think it's dabbling in kind of literary capital L literary, like human characteristic kind of stuff. Sure. Um, the women in this book are basically non-existent or evil ghost hermaphrodites. And it's really or, or truce who think their husbands are watching porn with their crappy friends. Yeah, she's portrayed rather like level-headed. Uh his wife is um Shizu, I think. I think she was actually called Shizuka in the Japanese, but they changed it cuz it was too similar to another character in the English. Sure. Um Ryuji has a uh not a not girlfriend who is his student. 
named Mai. God, Ryuji. And when she, what are you doing? And when she, stop telling me new Ryuji. I know. I just can't. But I can't with them. when there's a whole lot of like gross male gaze in this book, also um, a lot about like beauty and prettiness. And I think A was written in '91, so uh, not to excuse uh, it, but to just tell you where it's coming from, I guess. Right, like it wouldn't have been seen as particularly objectionable and, at the time. I don't guess. And I also don't know a lot about. I, I can only know that there are specific Japanese gender politics. I don't know anything about them to talk about them on air. Yeah, I think like that's there is a lot of of racial and gender stuff where like otaku people where it will like come up to you on tw- like a bunch of anime Twitter's avatars will come up to you and be like, well, actually in Japan, like blackface is cool. Oh jeez! Because because of because of because of culture, like this is not this is not I'm not making this up. But anyway, so I just I it's just really important to to note the importance of like peer pressure and culture in making people like not have odious views. Sure, no, that's a good point. Okay, (laughs) I okay, I appreciate that. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, the the women in this book are not real characters. The the they're like companions or they are um like characters we learn about because they're related to the evil story um and that's just unfortunate but i don't think the book needed to be that but it could have helped it didn't need to have that as much except for the fact that the women it does spend time with are treated so terribly and gawked at and whatever so like Mm -hmm. Balance it out at least, like make an effort. Um, but I, I also it's not important. I also like when you said that he really likes Hemingway. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right. That, I see this whole thing in a new light now. That explains a lot. Um, <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to like like any of the things that these men have done. There is this like Asakawa is left with this question of. I could let my wife and child die in the hopes that it stops the virus or I could protect them. And he decides to protect them because he thinks like later on man will find a way. Like I'm going to spread this virus now, but like I can't worry about the future. I just got to seize the day, I guess. That's not. Which he learned from Ryuji. (sighs) So Ryuji strikes again. (laughs) Ryuji. That's not self that's you i could see i mean like you could spin that as optimism being like oh yeah men will find a way whatever and instead of like you know this would really be bad for me so i bet man will find a way yeah <laughs> all right yeah. i don't like anybody in this book now cool no cool, 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 cool the i can see why it's caught on like it's a cool idea uh, the thematic implications of the like of a virus that is inspired by the devil is like interesting. The videotape thing, as we said before, like it's I don't know if you could do that today with a haunted YouTube, but you could try. Um, <laughs> and it, and it's basically it's a detective story. It's like a let's let's show up to this scene and talk talk to these people until we get the answer out of them. Let's. Uh, they uncover that it's like actually her psychic projections onto videotape because of how they analyze what parts in the tape look like blinking. Like there's some minutia stuff that's really cool detective writing in a way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
So I, I find that satisfying, even though none of it's really like bombshell spooky. Um, yeah, that's that's Ring. Uh, okay. The it did not have as much people getting spooky phone calls as I expected based on the film. The American film played up the the phone call angle a lot more. <laughs> typical, typical Americans. And I don't believe that the movie, the American movie, made the tape like made a big deal of the ring as like an expanding ring of plague. Um, I think it was like more about the well and other imagery. Apparently there are other books in this series where it's revealed that like it's not just the tape that does it. Yeah, I was I was reading about and okay, so let's spoil the whole rest of the series, I guess, <laughs> and then wrap up. Is in the second series it's like actually a virus or something? Yeah, there's a real like virus in the, that in shows the second up. book. Yeah, and it was, it was supposed to be about he was talking in that I don't know if it was that interview or another thing I was reading where he was talking about how like our mental state influences our physical state. Like he was talking about how you get ulcers because of stress and stress is something that you that is sort of inflicted upon you by your own brain, Mm. which Hmm. is its own kind of horror, I guess. Sure. But yeah, it gets it gets weirder as you as you go, as often happens with book series. Yeah, when you have to keep adding on top. Apparently, the actual ghost girl like comes back. Who knows? Ooh, neat. Yeah. So that's Ring. Uh, if people have a greater understanding of the movies and kind of want to tell us what they liked better or worse, they should find us on social media. Uh, at facebook.com slash overdue pod or twitter.com slash overdue pod. I want to thank everyone who told us that Andrew was right um, and that he was such a professional boy, including Fright Safine, uh, Bovin, Jeremy Ann, Ill Waste, Starfish Chick, Yerpaswena, Brock, Charlotte, Mr. J, Ella, Christine, Mount Amy, or MT Amy, I'm not sure. I'm going to go with Mount Amy. Sarah Mount Amy is the. <laughs> Mount- <laughs> Uh, Sarah, Sophie, Donna, Whitney, Kathleen, Jess, Annie, Melissa, Grace, Lily, Taylor, Melanie, Katie, Izzy, Mrs. Trevithick, Sean, Adam, Brendan, Philip, and Christina, Natalia, Amber, Erica, Sarah, Cindy, Sarah, and Teresa. Thanks for reaching out, guys. You could also, if you wanted, shoot us an email at overduepod at gmail.com if you want to tell us about your VHS adventures. Andrew, where should they go if they want to learn more about the show? If they want to learn more, they can go to overduepodcast.com, which is our internet website. You can get iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and RSS links from there. Those are always you can subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they come out. Um, we have been late. We like we were late last week and, and we've like there have been scheduling things lately, but I think we're back on track now. Um, if you subscribe in iTunes, as we read at the beginning of the show, do rate and review us because we really like that a lot. And you guys have left a lot of nice stuff this week. I think you all took my my goofing about the negative review more more seriously than it was intended. But I, I do like the positive ones and get bothered by the negative ones. So, like, keep it coming, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it all worked out I for the keep, best. Yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. Um what else? We have links to HeadGum, our podcast network. Thank you to them for helping us grow and helping us find more, like a wider audience. It's been really great to be part of that network. Um, Spreaker, our podcast host. Um, we've got Amazon links to the books that we have read and are going to read. I think we're going to try, and we've got November pretty much mapped out at this point. We're going to try 
from here forward to plan stuff like a whole month in advance instead of going like week to week, just because it's easier for Greg and I to sit down like in the middle of a month and look at the patron books and look at everything and be like, okay, this is what we're going to do next month. Yeah. And that will, that will hopefully help you guys who like you, the people who want to read along to read along. So look for November's schedule to go up soon. Um, and also if you want to support us monetarily, we have a link to our Patreon project. You can go to patreon.com slash overdue pod to find out more. I think that's it. Yeah. I don't remember what I'm reading next week. I think you're reading Magic Bites. Yes, that sounds right. By Alana Andrews. So yeah, cool. You share a name, Anything it'll be else? good. No, that'll be yeah. That's we good. It. We we good. We good. Uh, yeah, we're good. All right, all right. So everybody, make sure you make a friend listen to this podcast within God. seven days, or you'll die. By the way, <laughs> just wanted to squeeze that in right at the end. If you don't share this podcast, you'll be eaten by the lost. Yep. Yep, so have fun with that. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, and try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.